Today's episode of Baxi's Musical Podcast is brought to you by Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in Western Mass with both locations in Holyoke and in Lee. In fact, they're not just a dispensary. They're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. That's CannaProvisions.com. Adults 21, please, and please consume responsibly. And now, time for Baxi's Musical Podcast. It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, here's a fact for you. When a guitar goes out of tune, it's usually a pretty simple fix. You either tighten the strings or loosen them or replace them with new ones. When a drum set starts to sound a little goofy, you can retune the heads or replace them with new ones. But with a human voice, the only thing that you can really rely on is you. You either warm up your vocal cords and get them ready, and you hope that the audience doesn't notice, which they will because that's what they do, which is why you might notice how crappy my COVID-negative-sounding voice sounds here today. But when a singer comes around and accumulates 20 years of praise for the power and the quality of his voice, when his voice is placed at the same level as the late Chris Cornell of Soundgarden or the late Jeff Buckley, when guys like Brian May of Queen want to collaborate with you, it ain't just about your skills and adjusting your auto-tune settings. Because I'm pretty sure a guy like Brian May knows a thing or two about working with dudes with unbelievable voices. When the level of your talent is praised to that degree by that many people, it's usually because you can sing your ass off. Which brings us to Jimmy Necco of the band Ours. For the last 20 years, Jimmy Necco hasn't just been blowing people away with his incredible vocals. He's also a multi-instrumentalist and a great songwriter as well. So much so that the Hours debut album, Distorted Lullabies, is still considered a classic today. Last year, Jimmy Necco and Ours released their self-titled sixth studio album. But due to COVID restrictions, it's only been now that the band has been able to get on the road and give the album its proper amount of attention and promotion with a brief tour that recently took them through Cambridge and other places as well. This is my conversation with the ridiculously talented singer, Jimmy Necco, from Ours on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You see, <laughs> now that you see me, you see what's going on. Oh, you're driving? Yes. I'll try not to distract you while while you're driving. I, I'm not going to look at you much, but I'll I'll be here with you the whole time. That's uh, that's fine. Who's in the car with you? Uh, the rest of the band. Well, I, I'm 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 glad I got everybody here. But uh, but it's good to talk yeah. to you. You too, man. I've been uh, been spending the last couple of weeks, you know, diving into things and and you know, really kind of diving into the, the new record, which I like a lot. You know, this record came out last May. It's got to feel good, even if you're driving with your with your band in a, in a, in a van, uh, to get on the road and finally work this thing. Tell me about, uh, you know, what's been going on and finally getting out on the road with this. Yeah, well, we kind of took ourselves off, off the road a bunch of years ago, as it was, even um, long before COVID. We, we've kind of been spending the last... Um, just about a decade in the recording studio, a place that I have, and um, studio that I kind of grew up recording in. I've recorded a lot of the other records there as well, even though when we 
you know, recorded with Lily White or Rick Rubin. Um, I still did work in the studio on certain songs. Um, so I got this, I got this, the room back a bunch of years ago and decided to just spend as much time as we could recording because we had so many songs to catch up on. And, and the, um, the process with the record company and all um, really dragged things out too much for us. I, you know, to give you an idea, I, uh, Sign with DreamWorks, um, it was 1997. The first record didn't come out until 2001. And then, um, then we did our second, we toured for about a year. And then we did our second record pretty quickly, too quickly, in my opinion, because um, they wanted to kind of rush it out to follow up the hit that we had. And, you know, which, we just didn't finish that record, in my opinion. So um, then we went out to make a record with Rick Rubin. And that was another, another like, um, six years it took. So everything was taking too long, in my opinion. Just wanted to get off the, the hamster wheel with the labels and, and that machine because it wasn't working for us. So basically with this group, this is the longest, most consistent group that we've ever had. So for us, which is why I'm out here in the middle of a snowstorm driving the band with the band, um, it feels like we're starting over, you know, like we're, 18 years old and putting a band together. And so basically we were kind of ready to go out during COVID, but it did obviously, you know, put us off another two plus years with everything. So in that time, just decided to um, kind of, you know, record even more music. And that's why the record's so long, but basically um, we're out here really enjoying it um i'm enjoying it more than i ever have through our, our whole time because the music feels right the band feels right and um so yeah we're having a blast doing it and that's that's basically what we're doing here kind of starting over the new music is in a sense there's a connection to it um from the past from you know our first record but it's a whole new spirit so it's 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 kind of like I wouldn't say we like reinvented ourselves. I just I feel like we kind of invented ourselves. Finally, we're enjoying it. Well, it it feels like you 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 refound your steps. Like if you you found your footing again. And as I was listening to it, and and the in the the first track, your voice is just is just killing it. It's it's a long record, and it is it's divided up into three distinct sections. Tell me about the decision to do it that way, because it feels more like it's about uh, how you are feeling in multiple sections. Well, they were, as there usually is um, with what we do, there's a large spectrum of different kinds of songs from we don't do any one kind of song and like do a whole record that way. There's always a whole different range. So we're kind of used to that, but what was happening was it felt like um, some of it felt like there should be different records, but I, it was the challenge that I, I took on to see if we can put it together and have it feel like a play, like a, a play would, you know, run to where, um, you know, the beginning kind of happens is a big call to arms and, um, you know, like a, like a, uh, even like a big movie, you know, it comes out, there's a lot of action at first, and then you kind of get into a little bit more of the story. And um, 
so that's that's kind of what it is it's like the first part comes out in a space that feels really uplifting and positive and then we, we kind of go down deep into it and for the whole middle of the record there and it gets um the narrative of it it feels you know a, a little heavy and um then the the final part of it is uh, it kind of coming out of the darkness so that that's the main that's the main like layout of it um so but it was really difficult to sequence because we could have started we could have started right away pretty dark and right. then just gotten positive as it went on but uh, we've done stuff like that before and and i was really feeling that i want i wanted to feel um joy and hope and the sense of um you know being elated right from the top um rather than starting too too dark or too intense emotionally i wanted it to feel exciting but um light and light in your heart you know to make it make it play out that way it, it kind of we look at it in, in like three chapters when i started listening to it the, the first time around you are you listening to the first track on the uh on the record and you you're just you know you're blasting the piss out of that song with your voice and it's uh, it's 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 fantastic but i noticed that you know it, like you say i mean there's a lot of things going on there are different kinds of songs and there are different kinds of emotions that get tracked through this thing i remember years ago there was a quote that uh, that bono from u2 had had talked about that he felt like he could get just as much emotion out of a whisper as he could with a scream and his voice and it sounds like that's something that you also feel because I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tonality. There's a, there's a lot of textures in, in, and how you sing each one of these songs. You're using the voice to serve the song rather than the other way around. And I know there's a lot of, a big temptation for a lot of singers to do just that where they over sing it rather than just play with what's in front of them. You see it that way too. I do. I, I really try to, I try to be cautious to not um, be too much of an acrobat um, with my voice because, um, I mean, I, I think part of it is is fun and intriguing, in a, you know, in that Freddie Mercury kind of way. Um, and I think it's powerful when when done right. And I, I think Freddie did it right. Um, and some like George Michael um, using the, the range to, to show the emotion rather than to show off. And, um, I try. I, I do my best to to stay within that kind of mindset where um, we have all these different textures um, that we can use to paint, you know, to paint different emotions. So um, whether it is a whisper or a growl or um, you know a, a really pretty falsetto, there's a lot of there's a lot of different textures to um, that are out there. And so I, I really do try to use them, but I, I do my best to not get to the point where people, you know, um, where it feels like too too much like a showing off thing. I don't, I don't really like that. You know, whenever I, I talk to a, a vocalist, you know, I always I always wonder, you know, at what point in your life do you realize that you've first of all that you have this gift? You everyone thinks they can sing, <laughs> but when you've got a guy who can actually do it. And you realize, Hey, I can not only sing, but I can, I can sing with emotion and power and tenderness all at once. I mean, that is something that had to develop over time. But at what point in your life did you say, I might be pretty good at this? Um, well still, you know, with not being 
um, not trying to be cheeky or anything, but genuinely, I'm still working on it every day um, to grow and um, to get better at it. But that there was a, a, a defining time for me. I was around eight, 18 years old when I felt that I was starting to get the hang of it and I was getting control of my voice. And, you know, like what I heard in my head, I was actually able to do. I think it was around 18 and 18, 19. And then I, and then I really took it serious. It was so extreme with um, the maintenance of my voice and my health and, and all of that. And um, it's, it, that's been helpful for my life to, to do that, to, to take care of it. I was never a big, you know, never a big partier like, through that, through that time of really developing my, my voice. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I drink now and I enjoy to do it um, when I do it, but um, I've always tried to preserve as much of it as I can. I, I never really, like I said, big into um, like drugs or smoking or anything like that. So there was a period of time when we were out after we did the Mercy record where I was grinding my voice so hard every night and pushing it to the point of genuinely feeling like, oh, I don't think I'll ever sing again in my life after tonight wow. with how hard I was pushing it. And I had to take these years to, to, um, to build it back, to tell you the truth, to get back to where I was singing again and not just like, screaming my face off. It's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a lot uh, about uh, the comparison that you get all the time, and you must be kind of tired of this, but the, the comparison between you and, and Jeff Buckley, and I suppose in, in, in some ways I can see it, but in other ways I hear a lot more than just the Jeff Buckley in your voice at its lowest register. I can hear a little Mark Lanigan at the highest. I can hear Bruce Dickinson. I can hear a lot of different influences in, in how you sing, but yet the Buckley comparison keeps coming up. I mean, do you think that's a, it's a fair comparison to draw parallels between the two of you? I think that if you are a, um, just a, a basic listener of a certain kind of music or something, I think that it's an easy one. Um, you know, it would be like me saying that, you know, Dr. Dre sounds like um, Run DMC or something. Um, if I didn't really know the ins and outs of and the subtleties of different artists, um, I don't know if that's a good comparison or not, but something like that, you know, where you maybe not familiar with a, a genre or way of singing. Um, or so like hip hop to me, I can say, well, a lot of it sounds the same or, um, but I think, you know, like you just said, I think it's a, it's slightly a lazy one at times by people. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I get it. Um, and I, I really loved him, um, greatly. And, um, not just his his um, his music or his voice, but uh, you know, I really cared for him, and uh, we were all really devastated when we lost him, and we were all very close to it. I mean, Jeff and I had the same manager when he when he died, and um, so it was really close to home. And I knew that there would be those comparisons, especially you know once he once he was gone, and that people would be very territorial and protective of him to where they would kind of want to dislike dislike us 
for that reason. And I think it's been a little unfair because I, I think that people like um, Tom York and I, and I love, love Radiohead, but I think people like Tom York, Chris Martin, Coldplay, Muse, I think that they've all copped Jeff's thing and you know they they get away with that and they can say how much they love them and inspire but they get away with it but for some reason people like to um pound me on it and try to keep me down but i was doing this long before i heard of him and uh, singing in this way so well and that's kind of why i asked about it because you like as i said you know to me there's just a whole lot more than that and it does seem to be like you say a lazy you know comparison i mean you're you you have a, I mean, you both have incredible voices. I mean, certainly he did, but yours. He was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And a great guitar player too. But it, it sounds like great guitar player. yours, your voice is, is slightly more controlled because in, in Jeff's album is one and only album. You can, you could hear where at any point his voice could have gone way off the rails, but I don't get that sense when I hear you sing. Like it, it does seem to be like you've captured exactly what your voice should be. And maybe Jeff wasn't even at that point yet in his career where he could do that. Yeah. I think he was about to get even more amazing. I really do. Um, because if you listen to the Sinead recordings and then you listen to Grace like, and then the live stuff from Grace, the, how much he grew even in that time and how much control he got over his voice during that time. Pretty unbelievable. But yeah, I, I think I'm a little um, funny enough. I think I'm a, a little more like um, husky or something. You know, I got a little more <laughs> of the um, a little more Thor in me yeah. vocally. Well, that's that's um, that's why I kind of drew the the Mark Lanigan comparison. I mean, that's I mean that guy was singing like there was fire in his throat. But you know, when you're down in the lower lower registers, it was like you know I could I could hear a little bit of it. I really love that register so. Um, I like to spend a lot of time there and you know, even like our speaking voices are so different. Jeff's and I, I just think to a more educated listener, um, like, like you, you can just pick it up and say, nah, I can see the similarities, but come on, it's, there's a lot more in there. And, um, I'm just, you know, I'm just in search of those people basically that, that give us, <laughs> actually give us a chance. Um, yeah. and it's been an uphill battle for a really long time and um, frustrated me for a long time because like I said, it was lazy. And then, and then there were other rumors with it even that, you know, I was his roadie and that's why I sing like this. And, and that used to um, frustrate me because I was like, well, I wasn't his roadie. And even if I was, that doesn't, you don't wake up and then all of a sudden I, I carried his amp and then I can sing like him. <laughs> They like to, uh, it's, you know, some people like to make this whole other story, like, you know, like I was like some Padawan of his or something like that. And uh, it's just not, it's not true. So that's, that's more what bothers me. But it's, I mean, good company. If anybody, you know, says Jeff and Bono and Michael Hutchins and Tom York and um, even Bruce Dickinson, or Jeff Tate, um, mm. Freddie Mercury. Like, I'm in good company. Robert Plant. I've, I've kind of heard it all. Lanigan. So there's a new one, you know, and I, I toured Lanigan and I, I really liked him. That was crushing. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of have heard it all. But when I heard Jeff, I, I heard Smokey Robinson 
you know, <laughs> like, ooh, baby. <laughs> so I, I heard Smokey Robinson, Robert Plant, Nina Simone, Edith Piaf. That's like what I heard in Jeff. And at times, I can't tell the difference between, you know, Lilac Wine and um, his or Nina's. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to hammer on, on the, the, the Buckley thing forever here because I, I, I do think that I, I under, like I said, I understand the comparison. I don't 100 percent agree with it. I mean, there's a lot of things to, to compare you to. And, and Jeff Buckley isn't isn't the, the defining punctuation mark on what on what you do by any means. I, I do want to talk. Thank about, you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to talk about distorted lullabies. I know you guys have been performing it live during this this tour and last year it yes. uh, celebrated its 20th anniversary you know that's an album that emotionally connected with people 20 years ago and it still does that today but what's really interesting to me about that record is you know there was a lot of interest in you early on and you got steve Lillywhite to produce it which i think is freaking awesome i mean yeah. he worked with he worked with you too in the talking heads and xtc and Tell me about working with, with Jeff Lillywhite in your first record. I love this. Is obviously loved his work with you too, and um, I really loved what he was doing with Morrissey at that time. Mm. He had done um, Vauxhall and I, which was one of my favorite records at that time, and he did the next Morrissey. And so, basically, what happened with Lillywhite? Um, we went in for seven weeks. And um, we got a lot done. We got a lot done, but we didn't make the record. Um, you know, it kind of got finished, in my opinion, um, got finished the most effectively when I kind of just went home and did it. Like I recorded a few of those songs without, without any producers or anything. Just my buddy helping me, who was an engineer and by my side. Um, you know, I, I, you can call him a, a co-producer for sure, but without any like big, well-known producers, I did sometimes I'm a monster um, parts of drowning at the end of drowning. So that was when I actually felt like I found my footing. Yeah. Like when I, when I was able myself to get in there and record everything exactly how I wanted to and finish it how I wanted to. And it wasn't a, a long process. Like, you know, song like I'm a monster took, took us around two or three days and same with sometimes two mm. or three days to finish. So, you know, people, um, uh, you know, may have the impression that the, um, the record took a long time, but it wasn't that we took a long time working. It was, we took a long time getting the, the, the record label to be convinced that I was ready to make a record. So when I got, when I got tired of waiting after a year, it was it was just over a year that I'd signed and I still hadn't gone in the recording studio. And um, so I just made finally made a demo because we didn't have a demo when when I signed with DreamWorks. Um, finally went in. I recorded around four or five songs on my own. And I went to my A&R and I said, I want you to send this out to this. And I, I gave him a list of producers, Steve Lillywhite, um, John Leckie, who mm -hmm. had done um, Floyd. Radiohead, Benz, the Verb stuff, um, Ed Ed Buller, who was doing Suede Records, and I love Suede, right. um, and Jerry Harrison, mm -hmm. Talking Heads, who had done the live records, because right. I also love the 
the live record. So I was trying to find common ground with at least, I was, I was struggling to find a producer that I really wanted to work with other than Rick Rubin because I was going to sign with Rick, but he was going through Columbia. And because I didn't sign with him, he couldn't make the record yet. And so after that, I was kind of down in the dumps. I was going to meet with Flood also because I love Flood. I love Lanois, but my A&R guy believed that if I recorded with Lanois, that it would be too mature of a record. And he wanted a rock record from me, which is not what they got. No, I was going to say they only got a a record that people are still talking about 21 years later. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I didn't know if it was going to be... leaning more towards um urgent songs call them rock or whatever or if it was going to be um like a classical record or something i had no idea i just knew that it was going to be very personal and and true and um very exposing in the sense of um emotions and uh so however we were going to dress it it was it remained be seen but um so yeah, so a few of the producers heard the, that, that recording. Lily White called me right away and said, I wanna make your record. Um, do you have any more songs? And I said, sure. And I recorded another 14 or so, mm. sent them to him right away, just a vocal and guitar. Calls me back that night and he says, um, with your voice, my ex- your voice, your songs, my expertise, I think we'll make an amazing record. <laughs> and he's a trip. I, I really love, really love Lily White. Um, but in old truth, like I said, he, he did a, a good chunk of it with me, but we, we had to really work on it still after that. So, you know, we had a blast doing it. But like I said, it wasn't until I got, and I think there's, there's some artists that can probably, probably relate to this. That I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel like, this the satisfaction until I had the free reign to like really do it how I wanted to. And um, so sometimes as, a, as an example, I, I, there was no producer on that. Just, yeah, just did it. And it still sounds awesome. Even after all these years, man, that's, it's, it's a hell of a song. I want to hear a little bit about the, uh, the collaboration you did with Brian May. Tell, tell me about that. Cause I mean, he's, I think that guy's worked with good vocalists in the past. The best of the best, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so Brian actually came to the project after. What happened, um, they were doing a soundtrack for Spider-Man. And, um, and I guess Sony was making the, the album. And Rick was involved in it. And they had already had an, an Audio Slave song on the record. And so they knew that they had this song that Chris... Cornell and, and Alan wrote and they were trying to figure out who to sing it and somebody you know I'd said Eddie Vedder and Rick basically jumped up for me because he heard the song and the song reminded him of ours music you know hmm. um already he was like he just heard it and he said there's only one singer on the planet to sing this song so that was that was all Rick's doing um so you know like I said Chris and Alan wrote it Rick fought for me to do it and, and won. And so after we did it, I mean, it was really amazing because my, one of my heroes from jellyfish, Roger Manning, the, the <laughs> piano player, um, and, and singer, he's, he's sang with Andy, but, um, so he plays piano on it 
And, you know, we're kind of just like going over it in Rick's house while he's playing the piano. And it's what a moment. Um, and then we finished it all. Um, even like, like Dave Sardi even played rhythm guitar on it. And um, it was really amazing. We did it at um, Sound City. And um, so it's finished. And Rick had said that he was also working with Weezer at the time. And he, and he said that, um, that Rivers said that he would play a solo on it if we wanted him to. And I said, oh, that's cool. I like how he plays guitar. I play a lot of guitar, but for some reason it wasn't being acknowledged. And, <laughs> um, and you know, I really didn't care to tell you the truth. Um, I don't have an, an ego about any of that stuff, like whatever's best for it. Um, so Rick said, I'm thinking about Brian May. And I, I just kind of like, <laughs> so if you can, if you can get him. And uh, so he did. And um, Brian played on it. And then after I heard what Brian played, I'm like, oh, I have to re-sing this whole thing now. <laughs> he elevated it, you know? Right. And um, I would have personally liked to even go a little bit more back and forth just to see. But I think we did a, a great job on it. I really enjoyed it. And when I first heard Brian play, though, if, you know, I've, I've told this story, but it's funny. I felt like it sounded a little phoned into me. <laughs> because it sounded so good you forget you know how good he is and it, it's become for me like brian was my favorite guitar player on the planet and rick didn't even know this so again rick's instincts were really great um so i said to rick i said i don't know it kind of just sounds like a b-side queen song or something to me and uh rick was like really i said let me listen to it again and then I listened again and I said, no, no, I was wrong. It was it's so good. It's so good that it, it, be, it sounded, I've, I've really tried to not make music that was too commercial for most, for most of the early years with us. And so it, it was sounding so normal to me <laughs> because it was so good. You know, it's like somebody like Phil Collins, it sounds so normal, but you don't really know how, how great, he, he is as a drummer, and, yeah. And what, yeah, with all of it, that it's like he made it sound easy, and that's what Brian did. It just like he made it sound so great, and um, yeah. So that was that was basically yeah. I was hoping that you know I would do more more with them because I had a few people asking me through the years to to you know do singing things with them, and I was really hoping that Queen would be one of them. <laughs> Because they hadn't, you know, they hadn't really found anybody. And I thought George Michael was going to be the one to do it. Um, I guess, I think Lambo does a good job. Um, but there's no, you know, that's just a whole different thing, too, in yeah. my opinion. It's like, you know, it's, it's Queen with Adam Lamb. And that's cool that they're out playing the songs and everything. You mentioned, uh, and I'm glad you did, because I, I actually interviewed him uh, about a year and a half ago, was Roger Manning. Uh, oh. a huge Jellyfish fan. And uh, you know, love the two records. Even interviewed uh, Jason Faulkner a couple of times too. Love Faulkner. Faulkner's awesome. And uh, you know, that's a band that, to to this day, I don't know why they weren't successful because the, especially the second record, Spilt Milk, I think is like one of the most brilliant records ever recorded. Ever. Unbelievable. Ever. It's unbelievable yeah. how much they threw into all of those songs. Incredible. Yeah. And to have Albie on that with them. Um, it's just unbelievable, like the, the choices that they made and all of it. And, um, you know, I've spent so much time. Like I, you know, when we first started, I was on 
MTV a bit and I'd be on all the, the rock talk things and 120 minutes. And I would spend most of my time talking about jellyfish because <laughs> I, I, I felt like it was my, you know, my duty to, to let everybody know about jellyfish because I, I feel the same way. Like, but, you know, there was something about their lack of success that was really resonating with me. And I felt like, am I, am I going to fall into that same place? Am I kind of a little, you know, too far from the center um, to, you know, to maybe um, suffer the same kinds of uh, well, fate? I, I think their, their issues weren't necessarily about being overly commercial. I think a lot of their issues right, right. were self-induced and just terrible timing. But, I mean, you know, there's another record that has built this cult following over over the years that when you do talk to someone who who knows that record you're like oh my god i can't believe that you you not only know that you know that record but that you feel the same way that i do i think that's that's so cool and 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 when i've talked to those guys it was a real thrill for me because it's like you know to me it's like yeah how do these how do these guys come up with any of that stuff now totally it's kind of like watching that that um you know this Beatles stuff that came out, like you know, like <laughs> just being led into the, like the um, the process and and all that. And I I got to also one night, uh, one of the one of the positive nights. I left the Sunset Marquee. Um, <laughs> I left real late, and I was I was dating John Bonham's da daughter for a little bit, uh, Zoe Bonham, and um, so we went back to her house, and Faulkner and uh, Nigel Godrich. Um, the Radiohead producer came back and uh, we just hanging out, maybe drinking a bit. And uh, I got to, I, I can, you know, Joey was trying to get me to sing for them. She's like, Oh, Jimmy, you got to sing for them. got to sing. And I, I was like, I'll sing if Jason plays King is half undressed and I get to do it with him. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. I, I love those guys. I, I know you're going to keep on driving here, but uh, <laughs> as far as, the uh, the tour goes. I I know you're closing things down again. Another date in New York. I think in uh, you know later in the in this in the summertime. Are you looking to add more dates, or is this kind of it for now? Um, we're we're open to it. I, I I'd like to go out on a bunch of support dates, um, just like we used to do. Um, I would like to go support um, a band, and then give people more time. It seems like there's always like a delayed period of time with people absorbing our records mm -hmm. to where if we go too soon like right when we made the record um there'll be a handful of real diehard um, fans that know it but it, it seems like we do better when we wait like a year or two yeah. to go and tour the record so we're gonna do some some europe dates and then um maybe some europe dates with the band as well uh in the fall which would be great um, unless, you know, unless something else comes up in the States for us, but, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I think as far as headlining dates, we would probably, we'll probably wait, um, let people absorb the music a little bit more and then look at the new year for if we were going to do any more headline dates. Well, Jimmy, like I said, I, I really do like the, uh, the new record. I mean, I know it's been out for Thank a while, you. but it's, it's really, really good. Your voice is, you don't need me to tell you how good you are. I mean, <laughs> the voice is amazing. And I appreciate the, I appreciate the time today. It's always good to catch up with a jellyfish fan. Always. Always, yes. <laughs> Jimmy, thank you very much. Have a, have a, You're a very safe welcome. Have a safe drive. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast. I hope you liked it. Feel free to share it, subscribe it, review it. Tell all your friends about it. You can email me at baxitrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks again to Canna Provisions for their support. You can support them by going to cannaprovisions.com. We'll see you next time on Baxi's Musical Podcast.